We are good to go. With more of the Matt Wyatt Show. Coming to you direct and live. Here we go. I'm Matt in the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, Farm Bureau Go with the home team. They are your home team all across the great state of Mississippi. I'm Matt. Beaver is here. You can be a part of the show. Text me or call me. You can text the uh, country pleasing text line, country pleasing sausage. I'm on some jalapeno and cheddar. Uh, I got a new package of it also last night. So now I got a backup. <laughs> so now when I finish this one, I got some more to dive into. So I'm not going to be out of sausage for a little while. That's good. That's good. Feel free to um, shoot me a text on the country, please, and text line that number 885-3776. 885-3776. Another way to remember the text line is 885-ESPN. Got that? 885-ESPN. You can just text that number or call me on the Divini phone like Jimmy did. The number to call, 995-1059. That's a 601 number also, 995-1059. So uh, hit us up that way. found this interesting. So a minute ago, uh, I couldn't remember... <laughs> I was just drawing a blank, having one of those senior moments. We're talking about Xavion Thomas uh, for State. You know, he was he was out, I guess, the first game, little little dinged up, nothing major, coming out of fall camp. And then um, got back, got back in there, and, you know, you've seen him a couple times. I guess he had one punt return at some point within the last couple of weeks, and uh, they, they've given him a carry – what once this year he has just not had a lot of touches but to me he is a weapon like a Tulu Griffin he's just a little bit younger and less experienced right now um, but he is a big time weapon a big time player and so when his name came up somebody texts the show here it's an unnamed texter and says Xavion needs more touches Really surprised there hasn't been any toss plays this offense. With the way teams are stacking the line on short yardage plays, and as bad as our offensive line has played, it makes too much sense. Yeah, trying to kind of get away from the middle. And I will tell you, I mean, at times it's it's bad enough on your offensive line. At times in a run game where you've had enough penetration on some run plays, you couldn't even get to the outside if you wanted to. <laughs> it just guys kind of coming right on through scot-free. But that's generally not physical things, just mental things, either going the wrong way or, or guys getting the wrong call or something. But, yeah, in terms of rushing, um, and he's only played in three games, okay, so he missed the first. He's played in the last three. He's got one rushing attempt, which, you know, he is a receiver, so it's, you know, look at rushing attempts. But to compare it, like Tulu Griffin, he's a slot guy, right? And I know they have Xavion on the outside, but Tulu's a slot guy. And in four games, he's gotten seven what are classified as rushing attempts. Does have a rushing touchdown. You know, Creed Whittemore has got two rushing attempts. 
You see what I mean? So, like, one for Xavion in a couple of games. I know he's an outside receiver. And then in terms of catches, interestingly enough, it, like you said, okay, he needs more touches. Well, he's played in three games, and he's actually got the fourth most catches on the team, but the third most yards on the team. And it's a little bit sobering, I'll be honest with you. You look at it. I know it's just four games, but Tulu is the team's leading receiver, has played in all four games, got 20 catches for 388 yards. And what we do know is that most of those yards came this past week, right? So let me look at that. Let me look at game by game for Tulu. Now, why would I don't? Okay, receiving. There it is. So Tulu had four catches, 33 yards in the first game. Five for 83 and two touchdowns against Arizona. Four catches for 16 against LSU. And then seven catches for 256 and a score last week. So, yeah, again, so he's the, he's the team's leading receiver right now with 388 yards. That's Tulu. But, like, all but about 100 of that came in one ball game. That was his past week. Then Justin Robinson, 12 catches, 144 yards, no touchdowns yet. Xavion Thomas in three games, just eight catches for 108 yards, no touchdowns yet in three games. Uh, and then Jaquavius Marks, Woody Marks, has 14 catches for 105. So you look at it this way. He needs more touches. Well, the offense just got to get going and run more plays, kind of like it did this past week, because Xavier Thomas's eight receptions through three games are third most on the team right now. I'm sorry, fourth most on the team right now. In terms of number of catches, Tulu with 20, Woody with 14, Justin Robinson with 12, and then Xavier with eight. So the ball has not been spread around very much, okay? And, you know, in defense of your your plan and your offense, you got a guy like Tulu, you got to get him the ball over and over and over. It's, it's, it's pretty obvious that they've gone out there and tried to do that. But it also is surprising to me to see that those eight catches for Xavion in three games, which are the fourth most catches on the team, have gone for the third most amount of yards, 108 yards. Yeah, so just based on that, it seems like you know you can get them going, and and they've tried. They've had a couple of you know deep balls that they just missed just a little bit. Now I got a text here on the country pleasing text line from Chase, who says, "Why is it that Mississippi State's defense seems to be playing soft?" such soft coverage on third and long situations. I feel like they've allowed teams to continue to continue drives by picking up an easy first down due to the linebackers dropping deeper than the sticks. Yeah, um, there is some of that. And, Chase, what I would tell you is, you know, I, I know that I don't understand every single little thing about your spacing on the defensive side of the ball in zone coverage and certain types of zone coverage. I, I know that I don't understand it as well as someone who played on the defensive side and was coached at a high level on that side. But what I do know is that, 
you've seen two games in a row, and it happened some against Arizona too. So, you know, even the Arizona game, but then it was more quarterback moving around. But certainly these last two games, you've seen a lot of examples. On the third and medium, okay, so classify it this way. Third and short would be third and one to four yards. Third and long would be third and nine or more. So the third and medium is either third and five, six, seven, or eight. Between five and eight yards on third down, what you need. So in that third and medium, and, and occasionally on third and long, that's what you've seen is a dropping coverage with either a three- or four-man rush and at sort of your underneath zone that actually gives up the sticks a little bit too much. So then what it is is like I'm sure from a defensive standpoint you're thinking, okay, well, the deal is we're going to collapse and tackle before they get to that first down line. Well, if it's third and seven, it's hard to run a route that doesn't go at least to, to that seven-yard mark. And then you couple that with – if it's a tight end over the middle like it was against South Carolina, if it's a running back underneath like it was against LSU, what all they've got to do is position that route in a place that gives them the most amount of space between them and that underneath linebacker where you catch it, you turn, you go make the first down. It's like you're just giving up the first down. And when you drop that deep, if you're trying to take away a, you know, a 15, 20-yard dig in the middle or whatever, you're just giving up the middle, and it makes it look really easy. And here's the other thing about it. What I wonder is, I know as a quarterback, the easiest throw to make in all of football, other than a screen pass, which is behind the line of scrimmage, is that throw right back into the middle of the field, at, whether it's that six-yard sit-down hitch choice or whether it's that 12-yard curl. When they hitch and curl right in front of me, right either in front of or behind where the middle linebacker lined up, that's the easiest throw. I don't have to turn my shoulders. I don't have to turn my head. It comes open right in front of me. And if you open that middle of the field, it's, it's the easiest throw in, the, in all of football to complete. And on third and six or third and seven or third and eight, as a quarterback, if you give me that, the running back checking down, the tight end in the middle. As a quarterback, if you give me that throw, it's like, man, I want to send you a Christmas card. You mean you're not going to make me throw it to the sideline? You're not going to make me throw it deeper down the field? Really? You're not going for? You're not taking away the middle from me? Well, man, let me put you on my Christmas list because I appreciate that. <laughs> That's easy. And there are different versions of all that like against LSU do you remember the one if you were watching on TV they were going right to left so they were headed towards the north end zone and there was a third down and State brought the safety out of center field scot free they didn't pick up the safety blitz and just as Jaden Daniels threw the ball the safety Marcus Banks just tattooed him pow but he got rid of it and it was low and inside on his receiver up there who caught it for a first down. Well, that was a great job. Okay, that was a great job by the quarterback to just take the lick and and make the throw even though he's bearing down on you. But still, again, what was the throw? It was to an inside receiver or tight end type of deal who just ran straight up like a like a not even a stem or giving him a post-move curl. Just push him up past the sticks, turn, there's a ball, catch it. There's no underneath to take the throw away underneath. 
and it's on the inside. I'm not having to go to the sideline. The ball doesn't have to be in the air as long when you make throws in the middle of the field. And so it, it's just it seems there's been a little bit too much of that. And I don't know how you cure that. I don't know. And when you're playing some of these guys like Rattler and Jaden Daniels, they can make all the throws. Sure they can. It's just if the ball's on the left hash, if you have to throw anything to the far right sideline, the ball's just in the air longer. There's more time to react to it, another second or so. There's more of a chance it's off. You know, there's a little more work. Get those shoulders flipped and, you know, hips flipped and drive it out there. But I'm catching a shotgun, one, two, three, and it's open right in the middle of the field. You've dropped and just vacated the middle of the field. That's the easiest throw you can give me to make. All right, country pleasing text line. Unnamed texter says, Hey, Matt, have you tried the jalapeno and pineapple flavored sausage? I have. Now, the new one being at Country Pleasing being jalapeno, pineapple, and pepper jack. And I have not tried that one yet. It sounds great. But the, the, the old, one of the original, actually, flavors, uh, jalapeno and pineapple. You got a pineapple, and then you got a jalapeno. And I've tried that. And it always was a little hotter, a little bit. I mean, it sting you just a little bit more than the jalapeno cheddar, the jalapeno pineapple. It's really good, though. This, this looks like Limo Rebel texted the show and said, It's crazy. The refs are scared to throw the flags against Alabama. He says, I watched the Ole Miss replay, and there were clear pass interferences in the first half. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, a lot of people have felt that way after their team played Alabama over the years. We'll see what it's like in Startwell Saturday night. State grad 98 texts the show and says, Thomas didn't play much at wide receiver against Arizona because he wasn't 100%. He was mainly out there on punt returns. Yeah. So basically what you're saying is he's mainly played in two games. Yeah. And I, was it Arizona that he had the good punt return? Uh, let's see. Denzel texts the show. White Denzel says, Oh, come on. Are you serious? Wait just a minute. We're going to have to weigh in with Beaver on this one, too. He Maybe he'll know. Hey, Beaver, you there? Yep. You see what White Denzel sent us about the office? Yeah. Okay, he sent us a graphic. It says the office is reportedly getting a reboot. He said it's coming as soon as the writer's strike is over. Uh, is this real, Beaver? Okay, so that's not official, so don't let Hollywood White Denzel fool you. <laughs> but it's been, yeah, it has been in the talks. I've been reading this story. Greg Daniels, who was the showrunner, who okay. brought it to American TV, and is also, as we've talked about, one of the creators of King of the Hill. Remember that? Uh-huh, yep. Okay, so he has talked about it, and it sounds like the reports I've been reading lately sound like it's very likely. Wow. Sounds like it's likely. But I was thinking about this, so you're not going to have Jim, good riddance. <laughs> you're not going to have Kevin because, remember, he got fired. Oh, he did? Remember that in the near the finale? Okay. Dwight, I, when Dwight took over, he let Kevin go. Okay. 
Creed got arrested. Okay. All right. Now, they're talking about it's going to be a lot of the old cast along with or the, some of the the proposal for it. Yeah. Was to have a lot of the old cast working in the same building with a whole new cast. Oh. I like that. So you'd have new ones. You'd have new characters and new actors, but you'd have a lot of the old ones too, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, you'll have your Stanleys because outside of Honey Nut Cheerios, he's kind of <laughs> hard up for work these days. Yeah. Phil, Phyllis and her, you know, they, they got to order the series. They got to order the Hey, I saw a commercial somebody did, a recent one, like in the last year, that had Stanley and Phyllis in it. And it was a little bit striking because, you know, as we do, everybody has aged so much since the show went off. You know, and it's like kind of a parent <laughs> trying to be nice there and, and need to be. Okay, Beaver, if Michael Scott played by Steve Carell, did I get his name right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's funny, like I know him as Michael Scott, but if played by Steve Carell, if that is back, it's almost like they can figure the rest of it out. I mean... Is this really possibly going to happen with him? No. No? I don't think so. Oh, I don't think no. it's likely because there's another one. He left, too. He's out married yeah. in Colorado. Now, I could, yeah, he'll probably show up for maybe an episode or two. Yeah. But, no, I, I would guess it would make sense because it ended with Dwight as the boss. Uh-huh. It did, If you're going to yeah. bring it back, Dwight could be the boss. Yeah. Now, this does have potential because even in those other characters, you check in with Kevin at his bar. Yeah. You check in with Creed in prison, and that could be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it really could. It really could. And, I mean, my goodness. it's. I'm just saying, if they wanted to really have something, I mean, pay Steve Carell whatever it takes. Literally whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> if they really wanted to have something. And, you know, it is crazy, but you know what, Beaver? Like, I'm not like you that I'm against. I, I, I'm full-on anti-Jim, and therefore, by association, Jim and Pam. I'm not there like you are, but I, I'd be okay with it. It wouldn't really bother me if they weren't there. As long as I could get Dwight, okay, you know, Oscar Stanley, Phyllis, Angela. I mean, bring back Aaron. I thought Aaron was a great character. She cracked me up. I did too. I could do with or without Andy Bernard, but probably seems like maybe, you know, and he's gone on and sort of become movie star type of deal since then. But I guess several of them have. Meredith. Uh, I want Daryl. I want Daryl and Nate. You give me Daryl and Nate. In the uh, warehouse I'm in. Yes, I like that. And specifically, let's give... We are, we are talking as if we're casting this ourselves, Matt Wyatt. We are, aren't we? Let's give Nate a much bigger role. Absolutely. <laughs> give him a much bigger role. <laughs> Nate was great. 
What was it? What was the line he had about gum? Something about chewing gum. Anyway, have you realized that gum is a lot more minty these days? <laughs> like, it's almost too minty. <laughs> the dumb things that get a great big laugh. I look. I'm, this really excites me. Now, here's the other thing. The overall idea. Okay, so Denzel says when the writer's strike is over. Are we thinking first of the year this may end? These Hollywood folks, man, because so they came to an agreement just yesterday. So the writers have an agreement, but the actors are still on strike. Yeah. So I I don't know what we're doing here. We're not sure where it is right now. Okay. Gator Matt texted the show and he said, reboot. That's what she said. (laughs) And boy, Matt. State grad 98 remember, uh, reminding us that Kevin bought a bar with his severance package. Um, Bull said, hey, Michael Scott could be the regional manager, just a thought. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, check in with him every now and then. I'm all for it. Thanks for sending that along. You want to get me to watch something on TV other than a sporting event? That's what it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be bringing the uh, the office back. Uh, a couple of other things we'll get to next, including Kevin Barbet going to the booth to coach this past week and how that might have made a difference. That and more, plus overrated, underrated, coming up later with Beaver here in the Bureau. Stick around. crave your sport. It's often difficult to satisfy that special hunger. Not here, because you've got Matt Wyatt. Oh, I am starving. Don't worry, he's got a menu full. Um. Back with you. Staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. C Spire, customer inspired. Check them out at cspire.com. Uh, State grad 98 said Daryl was in the show, uh, in this show on Peacock called Killing It. Lots of language, but it was pretty funny. Yeah, the guy who played Daryl in The Office, he's been on several different things. And and several years ago, they even tried a, like he had a sitcom. I don't remember the name of it. Maybe we're talking about the same thing. I, I don't think it was like, I thought it was a network television. But it was a sitcom, and he was one of the main characters, and I, I tried watching that, but it was just not well written at all. Um, I mean, it was really clunky and and sort of like not witty, and every punchline you could see it coming from a mile away, and it was just it was cheap. <laughs> Felt bad for him. That was my take. All right, we'll keep you updated. We hear anything else about the office? Deal. Deal. White Denzel texts the show on the country pleasing text line says going to the booth helped Barbay last week. Could the same thing help with Matt Brock? Well, that's interesting. I have, I have not even thought through that yet, Denzel. So let's go back. Kevin Barbay 
is an offensive coordinator who always liked to be on the field, apparently was on the field on the sideline at his previous jobs, and was here for the first three games of the year for State. And this past week against South Carolina, he went up to the booth. And I feel like offense is different from defense, I mean, some obvious ways, but in some that aren't so obvious. Like, you know, on the offensive side, you you have to – you almost have to be a little less emotional and a little more cerebral during the course of the game than maybe you even want to be on defense. What do you mean by that? Offense is just so much different. I mean, you got the ball and things got to be executed. You got to really kind of slow the game down. Defensively, you're actually doing the opposite. I mean, defensively, you're trying to speed the game up and just create all kinds of hysteria and trying to do that within the framework of your job. Offense, you're basically trying to block out hysteria and slow the game down and see it really clearly and just execute it and do it over and over again. Next thing you know, you're down there on a one-yard line. And that's so it's a different. And, that, and for that reason, like, I've always thought it's best – if everybody can do it and can handle it, for that offensive guy to be up there in the booth, looking at it from 10,000 feet, it feels like, get a really clear view of everything. Because generally you're going to have your offensive line guy or at least you know one of those front guys on the sideline who can kind of deal with that. And those things got to be talked through and, and taught and communicated during the course of the game. Uh, during timeouts and when the defense is out there and all that kind of stuff, and seeing things a little clearly from the field level. But in terms of calling plays and understanding what a defense is trying to do to you and what you can do to them, like I think an offensive coordinator in a booth, you can see the depth of a defense's secondary and the depth of their coverage and space on the field a lot better and a lot more clearly, I think, up there in that booth than you can on the sideline. You can't, however, communicate with players one-on-one as well in the booth. you got to get on the phone to do that and depend on your staff. But I think it does help to take the emotion out of it for you and probably do see a little clearer. Like last week, you probably he could probably see a little with a little bit clearer view. My goodness. They're, when they do this stuff, they're focusing on the run, and everybody's near the line of scrimmage, and they're giving us the back end of their defense if we're willing to take it and can have time to take it. And boy, did they ever take it a few times. So uh, yeah, there's a reason all those NFL coordinators are up in the booth. So on that note, Denzel, to your question, could the same thing help Matt Brock defensively? You know, um, I mean, I guess it's possible it could. You do see in the NFL examples of, Defensive coordinators in the booth. You know, look at the cat for the Cowboys. What's his name again? <laughs> Every time I say that, you know, 15 people text it to me because it's real. Dan Quinn. There it is, Dan Quinn. No, I remembered it. But Dan Quinn, you know, he's a defensive coordinator. He does it up in the booth. He wants to be able to kind of see everything at, from a different view and maybe the communication during the game, leave that up to staff and communicate through the staff. But if, but from a defensive standpoint, I can certainly see it the other way. And it's really what I'm used to and what we're all used to is defensive coordinators are on the field. 
You're calling things there. You're communicating things there. There's also an element of defensively, you're making calls at the last minute. You're, you're making calls at the last minute, even in a loud stadium, <laughs> and communicating some things that maybe you want to be down there to do that. And then also the ability of a coordinator to, to talk to these guys individually or even as a defensive group. You can't do that from the booth. And you look at it, you got a first year safeties coach. You're coaching linebackers. It's the first time you work with your defensive front guy, David Turner, who's been around forever, uh, certainly. And, of course, you know, you got a head coach down there who could, who was your defensive coordinator. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, Denzel, that makes me go, you know, hmm, you might be onto something. Is that fact that, you know, last year, if you go back the last few years, Matt Brock and Zach Arnett have been working together on the defensive side of the ball. Brock, the linebackers, Arnett, the coordinator, they're both on the sideline. That's their motive. That's the way they work. But now Arnett's stepping in the head coach role. It's just that he's on the sideline. Knows like the back of his hand what's going on. And so you could split them up and have the best of both worlds, right? You could have Brock in a booth and call things from up there. You know, whether it's somebody else signaling it or whatever, and any communication that needs to happen on the field or during the play or changing it or during the timeout, you know, you'd feel like Arnett can handle that. It's just that it does change it. You know, if he walks away from the front of the sideline where he can communicate with who's on the field and watch the game and manage the timeouts and all that, if he walks away from that, well, your offensive guy is also in the booth, and now you don't really have anybody out front. You, you you see, so there's just there's there's some dynamics and some logistics you got to work through, and then some of it could come down to just what somebody's used to. My hat is off to Barbet for being willing to just be flexible and try it until you figure out something that's going to work for your team and not being rigid. You know, for somebody who's been on the sideline his whole career calling plays, and that's netted him a job at a power five and all this. You go, yeah, I'll try it. Let's see if it works. <laughs> and it probably helped him a little bit last week. State grad 98 says, now to the Bengals last night. How good did their uniforms look? The white helmets with the stripes were on fire. You know what, State grad? I worked on that film study video that I posted of the Mississippi State-South Carolina game. It's on the YouTube channel right now. I tweeted links to it. It's on Facebook, too. I worked on that last night. I didn't watch one play of Monday Night Football. Didn't do it. Normally watch all the plays. <laughs> I don't know. I just got buried in it and was having fun doing it and looked up. And then when I was done, it was time to go sleep. And I just, I don't, I think I even forgot that Monday Night Football was on. Seriously. I don't know where my head was, but I didn't watch any of it. So I missed it. I'll take your word for it, uh, that it looked good. <laughs> I did look at the stats from those games, though, and it looked like Matt Stafford struggled just a little bit and, what, Burrow wasn't good again, no TDs, threw a pick. And I'll say this. 
you know, Matt Stafford was a really good player all those years on not-so-great teams in Detroit. And then he bounces over to the Rams, to Los Angeles, and wins a Super Bowl. And so now he's got all kinds of equity. Okay, so he goes out there in a game against a, I don't know, a, a team that hasn't won yet, throws two picks in a ball game, does not have a very good game. You let Dak Prescott do that for the Cowboys, and they roast him on a skewer. But not Matt Stafford. Got that one Super Bowl. <laughs> He's good. Throw all the picks you want to throw, Matt. You're good. We don't care. Dak, on a whole football team that act like they didn't want to be there Sunday, he throws one at the end of the game in desperation time. you got to score. Can't run it in there. you got three backup linemen playing for you, and it's his fault. It's all his fault. Tim says on the country pleasing text line, how long is Barbe's contract? Well, I don't have the foggiest idea. I really don't know, Tim. I'll be honest with you. I'm not a money guy. I'm not a contract guy. I don't read it, study it, don't care. So when it comes to contracts, terms, and whether it be length or money, I don't study it and therefore I don't keep up with it. So I'm sorry I don't have an answer for you. More coming up. And before we're done, on the other side of the break, underrated, overrated, or rated just right with Beaver in the Bureau. That's coming up. Stick around. From the amazing hits. That one is huge. To all the amazing plays. Matt Wyatt has got it all for you. Just listen to that. Well, we're back. Back with you in the Bureau. Earl in Madison texts the show, and he said, Matt, I forgot to ask you. He said, I just can't get into the pros anymore. He says, and here we are with college football trying to become the same thing. Yeah, um, if y'all will go look, uh, I'm not going to get into it because it's, you know, it's just whatever it is what it is, but y'all can read it. There is a guy who is a lawyer, and he's like a sports-type lawyer, okay? His name is Mitt Winter. So first name Mitt, M-I-T, last name Winter, like the season, Mitt Winter. And on Twitter, he is at Winter Sports Law. And he's doing a lot of commenting on some of these stories that are coming out of this uh, case that is that is, you know, being decided on right now in U.S. District Court. It's called House versus the NCAA. You can read some of his comments. In his most recent one, he quoted some things in the story, uh, the details of the rulings that are happening right now in courts, and this is what he said. He's a guy, by the way, that's quoted in a lot of these articles. He said this, the House versus NCAA case is focused on eliminating the remaining NCAA NIL restrictions. Like, who can pay NIL compensation? Schools can, conferences can, and why? Even for athletic performance. He says, but in combination with other proceedings, it could play a big part in ushering in a completely new model for college sports. So, uh, basically, all that stuff's going to happen. 
And I will tell you, there's going to be some major shakeups going on out there, whether it be conference affiliations and the model and, you know, the whole idea of, of power five yet, you know, in, in group of five, there's going to be all these different levels that will have their own playoffs and all this stuff. This is, we, we are in for a major, major, major upheaval on all the entire college sports model. And I just have so little appetite for any of it that I've kind of stopped reading about it and covering it. I just don't give a flip anymore. It can do what it's going to do, and then I'll do what I'm going to do accordingly. Um, <clears throat> now. I would like to welcome into the Bureau, the Farm Bureau Insurance Studio, the homecoming queen real quick. Hey, Annie, i got to tell you something. You there? Yeah. Did you notice that the Pop-Tarts that we bought came in a different packaging? Well, I think they're just doing a, a throwback look. Yeah. F throwback packaging for Pop-Tarts. Well, football uniforms do it. Yeah. I know you're busy, but. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure you were aware of that. I'm aware. I can't eat them, so I don't really care. <laughs> They're not gluten-free. No. Hey, Beaver. Anna Beth, why did you wait until eight minutes to go in the what? show to come on? <laughs> I haven't been here. And then I uh, walked into the studio, and he goes, I have one segment. And I said, let me put the headset on so I can talk to Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> she don't want to talk to me, Beaver. She wants to talk to I you. Like, I want to just hear how Beaver's been doing. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Annabeth, you're going to get to hear this for the first time. You've not been here for this, something that we've been doing on the show. Okay. Okay. It's called overrated or underrated, and it's a, or appropriately rated. I have heard it. I was, it was, y'all were doing it the last time I was on the show. True story. Yep. Well, I didn't remember that. Yeah. Sorry. I'll take your word you for it. You did the Lone Ranger, and Beaver said he liked yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to do that again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Beaver, are you ready for overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated? Yeah. All right. First up. On this day in 1962, the premiere of this... He giggled when I said 1962. On this day in 1962, the premiere of this show on CBS. I'm going to listen to a story about a man named Jed. The poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then the day Beverly Hillbillies. What do you think, Beave? Oh man, it's right where it should be. Okay. You no, it's it was good. The only fault you can find with the Beverly Hillbillies is the movie they made <laughs> 30 years after that. Day. I never yeah. saw the movie. I saw it. I don't think I saw the movie. It was bad. It was. I just remember they used to say vittles. Yeah, vittles. Come have some vittles, and, and I always, Granny be cooking up possum and yeah, everything. I always thought that was neat. I'd never heard the word vittles. <laughs> Okay, so he says Beverly Hillbillies appropriately rated. Okay, so that was September 26, 1962. Um, this show, two years later, premiered on this exact same day, 1964. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. Gilligan's Island premiered on CBS on this day, 1964. What do you got, Beeve? Right where it should be. I have memories of 6th and 7th grade in the morning waiting for the bus, watching, and get, watching Gilligan's Island reruns on <laughs> yes. TBS. Yes. 
I loved watching that show. Yeah, everybody did. I wanted to be Ginger, the redhead, <laughs> the movie star. Those yeah. were fun shows. Yeah, they were great shows. Yeah. Here we go. A skipper to a millionaire. Okay, so that was that one. Um, appropriately rated. A lot of times when they played that one, they'd also play the, uh, what was it? I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Listen, this might be one of the greatest days in television history, oh. September the 26th. Oh. So Beverly Hillbillies premiered. Two years later, Gilligan's Island. Oh. All right. Five years after that, on this day, this show premiered on ABC. Here's the wow. story. Yeah. Wow. A lovely lady. The Brady Bunch. What do you got? Over, under, or just right? Just right. I got I got no problem with the bunch. Okay. No. I was I, this is the first time I've been for all of the shows you brought up. Yeah, so Thumbs far up. three for three. Yeah. I love the Brady Bunch. I bet I've seen Who was your every favorite? episode. Who was your favorite? I love Jan. Really? I did. The I middle felt, daughter? I felt sorry for her. I thought Marsha <laughs> got I thought Marsha got all the attention. Yeah, my favorite was Bobby. And I kinda liked Cindy. Yeah, the curly blonde yeah. hair. And I, for some reason, I was kind of partial to Alice. I thought she was great. Oh, yeah, she was great. I liked all of them. The Brady Sing along. Okay, we're three for three there. It premiered on this day. Then, years later, in 1982, Beaver, this one premiered. You know what show it is, Beaver? Knight Rider. Yes. The Hoff. Knight Rider. A shadowy flight into the dangerous world of a man. Well, <laughs> you talk about a voice. All right. Overrated, underrated, appropriately rated. Night Rider. You know, I honestly never watched it. What? Beaver, you Spons. and I are totally the same. I never watched it either. I, I never watched it. <laughs> I Seem- think the best. I just never did. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Even though I've never seen it, I think the best part of that, though, was the fact that George Feeney, the teacher from Boy Meets World, was the voice of Kit. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. I didn't know that either. People love that show, though. Yeah. Oh, I, I did, too. I was a you oh. know a kid coming up watching it, and I just thought I just oh, thought it was the coolest thing. So cool. Thing. Absolutely. Those are four pretty big shows. Yeah. And, and then this one wasn't a premiere, but you'll appreciate this, Annie. That was in 82. So September 26, 86th, the episode of Dallas. Oh, wow. That had Bobby Ewing returning from the dead. Oh, yes. Was a, <laughs> I, I mean, like, what do you mean returning from the dead? They thought he was dead. Yeah. <clears throat> Apparently. Beaver, I was a little that. girl when all the Dallas stuff was coming on. My sister and I had a dance we would do to the music, the Dallas theme song. We thought it was the coolest thing we'd ever done. <laughs> but you just don't, you just don't hear about really good shows like this coming on anymore. No, you don't. Oh, you know, legendary shows. Well, that's right. Not and there. Listen, we talked just a minute ago because it was White Denzel uh, sent us a thing with, you know, it was like not a link, but showing us that, and Beaver confirmed it. They are considering doing an office reboot. Oh, my Lord. Once the writer strike is over. Wait, wait, what? Yes. What? Yeah, now, and he, and Beaver has confirmed that Jim won't be a part of it. It that's won't a- be in it. It's because Beaver doesn't like Jim. <laughs> well, he said, thankfully. Wait, why wouldn't Jim be on it, Beaver? Well, remember, Jim and Pam moved to Austin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well. 
Mm. And plus, John Krasinski is a megastar these days. Yeah, he's yeah, he is. Is he's on something? What is that scary thing he's on? Um, what do you? Oh, a Quiet Place. Yeah, somebody was telling me the other day, and I said, I don't know what you're talking about. They said, Do you did you ever watch The Office? It's Jim. He's the star. I went, Jim. And they're like, Yeah. And I thought, mm, what is, Why is he doing that? <laughs> this is what Anna Beth and her sister are dancing around in the living room. To yeah, when they we were do kids. kicks. We would do line kicks. Yeah, we thought we were real cool. <laughs> we thought it was the coolest music we had ever heard. <laughs> That's great. My mom always watched Dallas when I was growing up. I've mentioned this before, but we went to the Cotton Bowl my junior at the end of my junior year of college. Played Texas in a Cotton Bowl, and so we stayed in Dallas, downtown Dallas. And that intro of Dallas, it showed the helicopter flying oh, yeah. around, and then. He could see the reflection of the helicopter in that big hotel with the mirrors. That's where you stayed. We stayed in that hotel. I thought it was the neatest thing. And out of, literally, out of my hotel room, I could see the school book depository and the X on the street where they marked the spot where John F. Kennedy was assassinated. It was, Dallas is a pretty neat place. Absolutely. They did not have an X, however, the spot where Bobby Ewing rose from the dead. <laughs> I'll have to see that next time. Shocker. <laughs> All right, that'll wrap it up for today. Everybody here on the show, thanks for tuning in. For Beaver, for the Homecoming Queens, for me, all of us here. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. See you then. See you. Bye, Beaver. <laughs>